Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every week is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. This morning, we are focused on prostate cancer. My guest, Dr. Aaron Katz, will discuss course testing, prevention, and the latest options if you or a loved one have been diagnosed with the disease. So please have a pen, pencil, piece of paper handy, or your smartphone, iPad, or whatever you use to take down some valuable information you will hear this morning. And thank you for making us a part of your day, whether you're going out for early run or perhaps a sunrise service. We'll talk about the number one cancer in men, prostate cancer, when New York Sports and Beyond returns on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Dr. Aaron E. Katz is currently the chairman of urology at NYU Langone Hospital, Long Island, and professor of urology, NYU School of Medicine. He is established and serves as the program director of urology residency program at NYU Long Island School of Medicine. He is recognized as an expert in the field of prostate cryosurgery, and his pioneering work in advancing this technology helped Medicare approve the therapy for treating radiation recurrent tumors. He's also published over 150 scientific articles in peer-reviewed journals and has written five chapters for urologic networks. Join me in welcoming Dr. Aaron E. Katz to New York Sports and Beyond. Doctor, good morning. And good morning to you. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for waking up early on a Sunday and talking to us about a very, very important subject. Doctor, before we get into prostate cancer, take me through your journey to arrive to where you are here. Um. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a urologist and uh, I've been working in the field of prostate cancer for nearly 25 years. And I'm, I'm happy to say that I've been the chairman of the urology department at NYU Langone out on Long Island, where we have state-of-the-art technologies for treating prostate cancer for, for patients with uh, both early localized prostate cancer as well as, as advanced. And we have technologies uh, including robotic surgery, a radiation therapy called cyberknife therapy, focal cryotherapy, and a lot of patients who don't, really don't need therapy but may be candidates for something called active surveillance for patients that have low-risk uh, prostate cancer where the cancer actually can be monitored. Interesting. All right, so let's start at the beginning. What is prostate cancer? Well, uh, prostate cancer is, uh, first of all, the number one cancer in men. Nearly 250,000 men will be diagnosed, and the most common way to diagnose it is with a blood test called the PSA, which frankly has been the same for, for almost about three decades now, and it is an abnormal growth within the prostate gland. A lot of patients ask me, you know, where, where actually is my prostate? And it's, it's a gland, it's, it's a small structure, although it can, be, uh, it can continue to grow as men get older, and it sits right underneath the bladder. And if it does grow, it can grow in either a benign fashion, which means non-cancerous, or in a malignant way, which is cancer, and can cause some frequent urinary symptoms like getting up at night or having the inability to empty your bladder, straining, maybe some burning, and if the prostate does grow, it can cause even some bleeding in the urine. Uh, and so it, it can be some bothersome, can cause some bothersome symptoms. But in a lot of patients, Larry, uh, the patients have no symptoms at all. And the only way that they're diagnosed with prostate cancer is by this uh, simple blood test, which if you are listening, uh, you should have the blood test yearly, probably starting at the age of 50. That's what I recommend. But if you do have a family history or you were down at the World Trade Center, uh, and on, near the pile or working on the pile at the World Trade Center, or if you're African-American 
or if you were in Vietnam exposed to Agent Orange, those are the known risk factors for prostate cancer. You probably should be starting having testing done earlier, uh, probably at the age of 40 or, or 45. That, that's typically what, what I recommend. But we do know that there are these uh, groups of men that, that are at, at higher risk. And clearly, doctor, early testing is the key thing here. So that's why you're giving age. And there are some folks who just don't like doctors, but you need to go. And and if you have a loved one who's an uncle or a father or a brother or whatnot, you need to really convince them to go to get this tested because the earlier you test, the earlier you can start working on the the symptoms and the, you know, the diagnosing the symptoms and then hopefully curing it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Larry. And, you know, unfortunately, during the pandemic, when people weren't going to the doctor and they weren't having blood tests, they weren't seeing their doctors, uh, you know, because of, of, of fear and, you know, a lot of telemedicine was being done. But, of course, you can't get a blood test through a telemedicine visit. Uh, you know, uh, pay, we, we're seeing now that a number of men are coming in and, and they're, you know, their, their PSAs are increasing. And that is of a, a concern uh, for cancer. Now, I just want to caution everyone and, and, and re- relieve or, or reduce some anxiety that just because your PSA and you get the PSA and you follow it over time is increasing does not necessarily mean that, in fact, you have prostate cancer, but you may need an evaluation. But as men get older, the PSA test, which is a reflection of prostate, uh, will increase uh, over time. And that's normal. Yes, that can be normal. And, and, you know, not everyone with a rising PSA or an elevated PSA may need a biopsy and may have cancer. They may not. And frankly, today, we are much smarter uh, about uh, selecting patients who may or may not need a, a biopsy. And we have strategy techniques. There are derivatives of PSA blood tests. We have imaging that has been clearly helped us in so many ways using the uh, the MRIs and you know, I will say at NYU, we're one of the leaders in this field for uh, establishing the role of the what's called a multi-parametric MRI, where we can identify these very small areas within the prostate that may be cancerous. They may not, but we can determine by the MRI, you can get a grading system. It's called a PIRAD system which of these lesions may be concerning, and then we can direct the biopsy. We can do what's called a fusion biopsy. We can direct the needle right into that area Mm. to see if, in fact, you do have prostate cancer. So it's not like the old days where it's more randomized. It really is a targeted uh, system biopsy. So uh, it's it's very important, as you mentioned, and men do need to be uh, detected early. And if it is detected early and it is found early, it's nearly 100% curable. That's great news, doctor. That is great news. You mentioned a couple of specific uh, uh, people in certain situations who may have a, a higher chance of obtaining, uh, uh, being diagnosed with prostate cancer. Is it hereditary? Yes, and I did uh, leave that off. Uh, that is a major risk factor, which is family history. There's no doubt um, that if you've had Uh, A first-degree relative, uh, if your father, if your brother has had prostate cancer, that is clearly a known risk factor, and people that have that risk factor in in their family should be tested, I think, a decade early, probably starting at the age of 40. And I see a lot of guys, Larry, that... They come in and they tell me that their their father, they have several brothers, their uncle have all had prostate cancer. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, people can can develop prostate cancer in their early 40s. And uh, I've seen that. So 
You're absolutely right, and it's an excellent point that you just brought up. My guest is Dr. Aaron Katz. He's chairman of urology at the NYU Langone Hospital in Long Island and professor of urology at the NYU School of Medicine. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 9870 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When New York Sports and Beyond returns, what are some of the new treatments for prostate cancer? We'll discuss next on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue my conversation with Dr. Aaron E. Katz, Chairman of Urology at NYU Langone Hospital, Long Island, and Professor of Urology at NYU School of Medicine. Doctor, I'm curious, how can prostate cancer be treated and is it does the treatment uh, die, does the treatment match the you know, the, the, the type of cancer that you have? In other words, the, the degree of cancer that you have in your prostate. Yes. And in fact, when you are diagnosed, we can put you into a category of low, intermediate, and high risk based upon a number of features. And that one of those features includes PSA. The other would include the biopsy material, which can be looked at very carefully under the microscope. And actually, we have additional DNA testing now that we do uh, at NYU Langone, where we can determine whether or not the particular cell type that you have may be more or less aggressive than what's being seen under the microscope. So there are risk categories, a low, intermediate, and high, and for the majority majority of patients that are low risk, many of these patients may not need treatment right away, and they can go on active surveillance, and sometimes patients stay on active surveillance without having radiation or surgery or cryotherapy for many years. Now, you have to be very careful about monitoring. You have to have a PSA done every, I recommend typically every you know three to six months. You have to have an MRI done typically every other year. But if you are in the low-risk category, it has been shown uh, that uh, this can be a very excellent pathway for you to go down. Now, for those patients that are on the more intermediate, meaning that they have more cancer in the biopsy or their PSAs are a little bit higher, or if they're higher risk, uh, then those patients uh, that are localized would be counseled to have what we call definitive therapy, and the majority of patients would fall under either the category of undergoing radiation therapy, which at our medical center is called stereotactic body radiotherapy, which is five days, and we have a program called CyberKnife at, at the NYU uh, School of Medicine, or radical prostatectomy, which nowadays is done robotically, which has been a tremendous uh, advance in the way that we're treating prostate cancer and that patients can recover very quickly. They can leave the hospital, most of them, the next day, mm. and uh, their healing time is very rapid. Uh, and their cure rates for both modalities, whether it be the, the radiation or, or the uh, radical prostatectomy, again, if detected early, is, is nearly 100%, Larry. So the bottom line here is, once again, and I'm going to hammer it in, Doctor, and, and you'll agree that, that this is what we, we have to focus on, is the earlier you get tested, the more options you have for getting a cure. That, that is correct. You do have options. And sometimes it's not so easy for patients to determine what is the best option for them. And they may not be a best because the the advances that we've had with our radiation uh, and you know our ability to deliver radiation and to take out prostates robotically have been so advanced now that uh, for, for many patients with the lower or intermediate risk uh, categories, uh, they, they may be the same. So it does involve, Larry, a detailed discussion 
with the urologist, perhaps a medical oncologist, perhaps a radiation oncologist, to sit down and go over the options and, and really educate the patient. And I think that's really what's key here is, and I like to tell the patients that you need to empower yourselves. You need to learn more. You need to go on to the, you know, and I, I do tell patients, go on to the internet and, and check out different sites, check out the physicians that you're seeing and, and ask around. Uh, but don't wait too long. You know, once you have a diagnosis, sometimes patients, they get caught in this whirlwind of a trap where they're seeing so many doctors, they're getting opinions from so many different people mm-hmm. and friends, and then they wait and it's, and, and you know, the, the cancer can increase. So I would, I will caution people that, uh, especially for those with intermediate or higher risk, not to wait too long uh, in making a treatment decision. And also, doctor, I dare say it's important where you're getting your information on the internet. So if you have some questions yes. and you you need to check back with either you or or whoever your your um, cancer doctor is that's working with you to make sure that what you're reading is really what's going on. We during this COVID nineteen situation, we we've noticed that there's a lot of bad information on the internet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, th- that is true. And, uh, you know, you, you do need to be smart about it. But, you know, we've been able to deliver, you know, our, our radiation therapy with less toxicity. And we're now using a device called a space ore, which we can hmm. put underneath the prostate in between the prostate and the rectum, which is done. Uh, it takes it takes me literally five minutes to do a space. Ore. And if you are out there listening and you are considering radiation therapy, I would strongly encourage you to have a uh, uh, a space war placement. We've been doing these at NYU now for some time, and it really has been shown to reduce the uh, rectal dose uh, of the radiation and rectal toxicity, and so it's really improved the overall quality of life for our patients. So before undergoing radiation for any any type of radiation, uh, you, you may want to check out what's called a space or hydrogel, which can be very helpful. Well, let's talk a little more about that, doctor, since you brought it up. Uh, okay. what, what, what are the pros and cons of, of that? Well, uh, it, I don't really see any con here. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's very safe. It's, it's, a, it's an implantable uh, gel that goes, in, again, in between the space of the prostate and the rectum. It'll stay there for typically around three months, and it's, uh, it's in, inert. It, your body won't reject it. And it's amazing because once you put this in, it'll stay there during the radiation, and then it doesn't have to be uh, removed. It, it's just something that uh, will be, be absorbed into the body and, and dissolved. And it is clearly seen on MRI, so when you're having your radiation and they're planning the radiation dose, you can see what's this space or this hydrogel on the MRI or a CAT scan. And uh, you, you can uh, outline the prostate and determine the proper dose and limit uh, and actually exclude the rectum. So uh, in the past, where patients were concerned about developing uh, uh, some rectal toxicity, mm-hmm. those concerns should be gone. So I only see it as a pro. Um, I, I don't really see it as a con. It can be done in the office or it can be done in a small procedure room with some some light anesthesia, but it typically takes me under about five minutes to do, and uh, the patient satisfaction has been extremely high with it. Are there any um, uh, side effects to the hydrogel? No, I, I haven't seen any, Larry, thankfully. I mean, some of the patients, uh, you know, you're putting this gel in between the prostate and the rectum, so some of the patients have told me that they have this urge to have a bowel movement, but um, rarely, that's very rare. And, and other than that, uh, I haven't had any, any side effects from it. So, 
uh, I would strongly encourage your radiation oncologist to um, to look into it. I think you as a patient, the empowered patient, should look into that um, and uh, make sure that your insurance carrier uh, will cover it. And most of them do right now. How many patients have been treated under this uh, spatial hydrogel? Well, I would say uh, nationally there's probably multiple thousands that have been treated for sure. Uh, at our institution, we're, we're probably nearing 1,000 our, ourselves, so at the, at the NYU Center uh, in Manhattan and out here on Long Island. And I think most of the, the centers uh, throughout the country have recognized uh, the advantages of something like this and, and are employing it. So certainly it's something uh, I think that should be, uh, at this point, standard of care. Yeah. I Listen, it, it's a great option to have, that, that's for sure. Coming up, how can diet help prevent prostate cancer and also help you after you are in treatment for prostate cancer? This is New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Let's conclude my discussion with Dr. Aaron E. Katz, Chairman of Urology at NYU Langone Hospital, Long Island, and Professor of Urology at NYU School of Medicine. Doctor, I'm curious, just for you to reflect a moment, from the time you first started into the area of prostate cancer treatment, how it's changed over the years. Some Just take us through some of the advances that have gotten us to where we are today. That's a great question, Larry. And as I mentioned before, I mean, there's no doubt that when I started training, we were doing uh, prostate removals in an open fashion. Patients would need to donate three units of their own blood because it was a very bloody procedure. They'd be in the hospital for you know several days to sometimes a week. Their time to healing would take sometimes months. So there's no doubt that the robotic surgery where it's virtually bloodless, I can't remember the last time that a patient actually needed to have a transfusion at all. Patients leave the next day with just a few little buttonholes there for the where the, the robotic arms went into the patient, and the healing time is, is dramatically, dramatically reduced. So on the localized front for, for surgery, robotic surgery has made a huge impact. I think for radiation therapy, I'm really proud to say that here at NYU, we have this state-of-the-art CyberKnife Center, this stereotactic body radiotherapy where patients do not need to go for 40 days anymore for early-stage prostate cancer. The results are showing a clear benefit of the five days, so that's a real convenience for patients. And with the space orders I was just mentioning, reducing the toxicity, increasing our cure rates, just a phenomenal uh, improvement there. On the patients that have advanced prostate cancer, Larry, now those are patients that have had spread into the bone or into a lymph node. There have been tremendous uh, improvements over the last even five years with multiple drugs that have been approved through research and now approved by the FDA that target the receptors on the, on the prostate cancer cells now. So before we just had, if you were on hormone therapy for prostate cancer and your PSA was going up, well, all we had was chemotherapy and that didn't work all that well. Well, now we have these targeted secondary hormonal agents that have significantly uh, reduced their PSA, improved their quality of life, and also um, prevented the, the disease from progressing further into the bone. And even in some patients that don't have it in the bone yet, it's been shown to uh, to cause prevention there. So I'm really proud to say that we have these, these agents now that are approved, that we have a handful and a number of agents now that we can use to, um, to, to allow patients to maintain an excellent quality of life and, and be in a, in a great remission. So that 
has clearly made a, a difference. And I think down the down the road, we'll be seeing more agents. We'll be hopefully in, in prostate cancer now starting to use our immune system like other cancers for breast and melanoma where we're using immune oncology agents. I'm hoping that those will also translate into the uh, arena of prostate cancer as well. Yeah, that sounds, it, it's, uh, I guess for you, it is grat- it's really gratifying to see how the treatment has advanced over the years and the expectation of even more treatment being able to be uh, handled even in a quicker and more effective uh, way without, with it being localized, as you mentioned, without it being spread and affecting other parts of the body. Yes, and the other thing that just came out uh, are the newer scans now. So if someone does have, a, as we mentioned earlier on the show, a PSA that's rising, and let's say they've had radiation or surgery and their PSAs are starting to rise, we now have scans that can determine exactly where the cancer is located. So um, there are two new scans that have just been FDA approved over the last couple of years, and I think it's really going to help us as clinicians and as patients determine the right strategy and the right road and the right pathway to go down to determine how patients uh, should or or should not uh, be treated because sometimes the scans don't show that there's any malignancy there. So this, that's another area I think that's really been helped. So we have advances in local strategies like the surgery and, and the radiation that I mentioned. We have new medications for advanced prostate cancer. And then we have the, uh, the imaging. And, uh, and then also, as I mentioned before, the advances in the, tech, in the detection, the, the proper use of the PSA. Who should have a biopsy? Who should not? Maybe let's go for an MRI or let's go for something called a 4K score or a PCA3 or one of these other markers that we can use. And the other area, Larry, that's also very fascinating is the whole area of DNA and genomics. And Hmm. we can look at your biopsy now. And instead of just looking under the microscope and looking at the architecture of the cells, we can go into the DNA. So we can extract the actual cancer cells, do a DNA test, and tell you you have the more aggressive form or you have the less aggressive form. And maybe, as I mentioned earlier, you may not need treatment. So there are a lot of advances. I'm really proud to be in the field. I'm proud to be at NYU Langone here on Long Island. And uh, we have a, a terrific team. And um, I think as, as patients that are listening, and if you're a guy out there, or a loved one out there that's listening or concerned about prostate cancer, as you mentioned, Larry, get tested early. Um, get, get evaluated. It's not horrible. It's not horrible to have a digital rectal exam. You know, you need a doctor to feel your prostate. You need somebody to do your blood test, get your PSA done, um, and and be smart about it because uh, we have new technologies and new treatments, and and we can help you if, in fact, uh, you need it. And and sometimes it's just going to the doctor, getting a blood test, and having a year, you know, more of just reassurance and and everything's fine, and, and then come back in a year and get another test. That's right. It's, it's, it's listen. You're at you're at the doctor anyway. You might as well get tested. So That's this right. way you know where, where what you're going, what you need to do, and let's get it. Let's get it. You know, diagnosed early so we can get it solved. Yeah. The, and, and the other thing that people ask me about, Larry, is is prevention. You know, if I, if I'm concerned, if I have a family history, uh, my father had it, my brother had it, my PSA is okay, but how? What can I do to prevent it? You know, from happening. Or if I've had it, how can I prevent it from coming back? I'm a strong believer in lifestyle. I'm a strong believer in diet. And I do think that diet uh, can play a big role. And, 
you know, in terms of reducing the amount of red meat that you take in, reducing the amount of fats, increasing more soy, uh, staying away from, from dairy. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a whole list of dietary things that we recommend to our patients to follow that can be very helpful to you. And not only that's great for your prostate, but also great for your heart. So a prostate-healthy diet is a heart-healthy diet. And we also need to be very aware of, of men's health in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, that's really how we, we try to approach uh, our patients uh, uh, at NYU in the city and, and out here on Long Island. It's full service. Dr. Aaron Katz, Chairman yes. of Urology at NYU Langone Hospital in Long Island, and of course the Professor of Urology at NYU School of Medicine. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Doctor, you, you read my mind. We were starting to talk about diet. I was going to ask you, is there an option for a holistic approach to solving and and, and cutting back and, and trying to find a way to uh, to 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 di- not to diagnose but to treat your prostate cancer? Uh, there is, Larry, and, and you know I've been involved in the area of integrative medicine, and I have employed that in my patients that I feel are good candidates for active surveillance based upon their PSA, their genomics, their biopsy, their age, their other health conditions that patients may have. And we do have a program of active holistic surveillance for patients that employs diet and employs exercise. And of course, if you're going to go on, a, on the active holistic surveillance, you do need to monitor your PSA and get an MRI every year, every, you know, so often and uh, based upon the, uh, the, the, the clinical situation of the patient. And some patients may need an additional biopsy, but there is no doubt in my mind after doing this for so many years that diet does play a key role and it's not only the diet, it's the exercise programs that people are on. You know, we see so many patients that have other comorbidity conditions. They have cardiac disease. They have diabetes, which is rampant in the United States. We need as physicians and urologists to be aware of it and, you know, to employ patients to stop smoking, for example. Mm. You know, I mean, I see patients that are so concerned about a little bump in their PSA, but they're smoking a pack a day. Of cigarettes. I mean, really, come on. I mean, that PSA is not your main issue. It's that you're smoking or you're overweight or you have diabetes that's under, you know, out of control or your cholesterol levels are way out of control. So I empower patients, know your numbers, know your cholesterol. You know, this is all part of the active surveillance program, the holistic approach. Know your cholesterol, know your hemoglobin A1C, know your sugar levels. Make sure that you know your kidney function levels, your creatinine levels. And yes, you, you should know your PSA as well. But there is a clear role for, um, you, you know, for, for diet and exercise in patients. Uh, I, I, I strongly believe in that uh, for all patients. Dr. Katz, what are some of the common side effects for prostate cancer treatment? Now, we understand that there really isn't any for the space or hydrogels you mentioned earlier. But for some of the other processes, uh, are there any side, side effects? Well, there can be, and, and as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with, with the the use of the robotic technology and with the targeted beam radiation therapy with the cyber knife, they're much less than they were. But men do need to be educated about the possibility of having some side effects, and the main ones that we are concerned about in our field are incontinence and impotence, the two eyes, leaking of urine, uh, and uh, some erectile dysfunction. Now, you know, with the with the CyberKnife and with the radiation therapy, I have not really seen any patient have any leaking of, of, of urine. Some patients may have some urinary frequency, some urgency, maybe an occasional drop of blood in the urine, and, and that's about it. 
the sexual side effects uh, can occur. Uh, and again, Larry, it does depend upon how good the sexual function is in the man before they start the treatment. So mm-hmm. some guys are just they're so focused on their, their sexual performance after these treatments. And when I ask them, well, how are you doing now? They say, well, it's not that great. I'm not doing that well. I need Viagra. I need Cialis. So I, I think you need to be aware of your baseline characteristics there in terms of performing after a procedure. But yes, either one, the radiation or the, the robotic surgery, can have an effect on sexual function. Now, we do have medications that can help. We do have other devices. We have uh, a vacuum erection device, which can deliver more blood into the penis. We have penile injection programs. We have oral agents. We even have, if needed, an implant. So there are ways to manage and take care of these, but I think we have to manage patients' expectations and let them know that for the first you know, possible month or two after surgery, uh, the sexual function may not be as good. You may need some medication, as I mentioned. Um, and the same thing true for, for, for radiation therapy. But it does depend upon the age of the patient, their pre-existing conditions. You know, there are other factors that can affect sexual function in men, specifically diabetes, heart disease, uh, any type of neurological condition, if patients are smoking, uh, if they're overweight, what their testosterone levels are. You need to know all of these factors beforehand, and then you can get a greater knowledge of what uh, can happen after one of these uh, procedures, whether it be surgery or radiation. But we can help you. There are ways uh, to regain your, your, your full sexual function. But, you know, Yes, these are the these are the two main you know side effects that can occur in uh, a in a subset of patients after one of those definitive treatments. And clearly, over the years, these the numbers are dropping in these amount of side effects because you're able to target, as you mentioned earlier, and localize the treatment. So because of that, you know, some the side effects are, are clearly going to be lower than they were. Yeah, Larry, that, that, that's right. Uh, they are lower than what they were. I mean, when I was doing the open surgery, I mean, hardly anyone had an erection, and most of the patients were leaking after surgery uh, in the open era. Um, and that has changed quite a bit. And I say the open era, I'm talking about open surgery where we had to actually make an incision. And the rates of, of incontinence and, and erectile dysfunction were higher than they are now. So, yes, and, and doctors are very skilled now at seeing the nerve bundles during the robotic surgery, the magnification of, 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 of during the procedure where you can see the nerve bundles. And as I mentioned, there's less bleeding. So the field, the surgical field is, is clean, it's dry. And um, for those patients that um, are concerned about erectile dysfunction, uh, they they can rest assured that majority of the patients will regain normal function. Now, the bottom line is, if you have high risk cancer, there are times when the nerves may be involved in the cancer, and the nerves may need to be sacrificed. And I think going in, at least you know that I'm going to be cured, and I may need to have some help afterwards with one of the you know the agents that I was mentioning. But you need to be cured because if your cancer is rampant throughout your body and you don't take care of it and, you know, and then you're going to need to be on hormone therapy because the cancer got into your bones or your lymph node, you're not going to be able to perform sexually in that scenario. So again, as you mentioned very early on in the show, 
early detection, early diagnosis, early treatment, much higher cure rates, and so the cancer will not spread into the bone or lymph node, and you won't need to be on hormone therapy, and you will be able to live uh, a relatively normal life. And the reason I want to hammer these points home, doctor, is because it's natural for you, if you're undergoing uh, therapy, to speak to somebody else. If you're considering, you know, what kind of treatment for prostate cancer, you're going to talk to somebody that you may know. And to understand that everybody's body is not the same, what they experience is not necessarily going to be what you experienced. And so sometimes information that is not totally complete gets transferred and it affects and, you know, kind of changes the, the thought process when you go to your doctor. It's individually based. Am I correct? Yeah, you're, you're spot on with that, Larry. Absolutely right. I mean, you know, I, I see, I hear time and time again, patients say to me, oh, you know, my friend, uh, he had this and his PSA was, was eight and his doctor told him not to do anything, but yet you're telling me to do something because my PSA is five. It's all individual. You're absolutely right. And just to hammer on another point, you know, an elevated PSA that's high doesn't always mean cancer, and you can have cancer and still have a low PSA. So it does need to be tracked individually over time. You need to know your own number, and don't be comparing your situation uh, to someone else's because it may not apply at all. And, and that's that's exactly right, Larry. I do understand that it. It, it, it depends on the procedure that you have, but how soon after procedures can patients return to their normal activities? Well, one of the nice things about the, uh, the radiation therapy and the CyberKnife program with the space or that we use is that you, you're, you're going to the radiation center, you can drive there, you can drive home, it takes about 20 to 25 minutes. There's really no healing. There's no recovery. I mean, again, as I mentioned at the end of the week, it can be some tiredness of patients. Again, it's five days. It's Monday through Friday, the radiation. So there can be some tiredness. There may be some increased frequency of, of urination, perhaps. But there's really no healing. So most of the patients, you know, can go back. And, you know, I have patients that are, that are working right through it and are playing sports right through it. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not like the surgery. The surgery is, yes, it's a little more difficult uh, because you have to be in a hospital at least for a night. You have to have anesthesia for usually two to three hours. But when patients leave, um, they usually feel fine. They will have a catheter in the bladder, typically about a week. And so, you know, you're not going to be out running about and, and take, you know, you need to take it easy for a week. And then once the catheter is removed, there can be a time of recovery and healing. It could take a couple of weeks until you have your complete urinary uh, function back, and you, you know, but typically most patients are feeling very well. They're they're able to drive. They're able to go about. But you know, you've had surgery, so there's a healing process. There's where the since the prostate was completely removed, um, the um, the area of the um, what we call the anastomosis, where the urethra is connected to the bladder, needs to heal. So you're not going to be doing any heavy exercise or or any heavy lifting for, for probably a few weeks after that. But uh, after that, uh, you should be fine. And if you have radical surgery and the robotic surgery, you do a PSA in six weeks, it should be zero. Uh -huh. And that's, that's that is one of the advantages of having of surgery, especially if you are a high-risk patient um, and you know the prostate is removed and the pathologist will tell us that all the margins are clear. The margins are clear and your PSA is zero. In six weeks, it should stay zero forever, and you, you would be cured. So 
I'm not saying that radical surgery or robotic surgery is right for every patient. Of course not. But for the right patient, for the patient that's counseled, perhaps the younger patient with more aggressive disease, uh, the robotic surgery has uh, is clearly has uh, a role to play. And even if you after your surgery or whatever treatment that you use, I would think that you would suggest, by the way, no matter what you what your diet and everything was like before, it needs to change, which will help you along your path of, you know, of, of uh, recovery here. Yeah, I mean, we've given patients a new lease on life. And I say mm-hmm. that all the time to patients. I said, look, you know, you had a bad cancer. It was uh, treated, whether it be with radiation or surgery. And, and look at this. I mean, you're, you're cured now, but you need to take care of yourself. You know, you need to get your diabetes under control. Your, your weight needs to get under control. You need to be exercising more. Stop smoking. Um, you know, go in to see the cardiologist because you, I noticed that your cholesterol is, is 250 and your LDL is 130. That's too high. So, you know, yes, we've taken care of your prostate. We've cured your prostate cancer. But now it's up to you to do your part and to eat properly um, and, and not have, you know, steak four nights a week. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying never, you know, listen, you know, it's, it's about moderation in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's about moderation, but, um, people do need to, um, to, to be more active and, and to take care of their bodies. Well, doctor, I tell you, um, I, I got to ask you this as, uh, as a person who had a show on our sister station, 77 WABC, for a number of years in Katz's Corner, uh, and now you're doing Doctors Radio on Sirius XM Channel 110. Talk about some of the topics that, you, that you're dealing with men's health, because I know you're not just dealing with prostate cancer. You're dealing with a number of other things on these programs. Yes, I, I am, and, uh, and, and thank you for, for mentioning that. I appreciate that. Um, you know, at Katz's Corner, we, we do continue on another station on, on Sunday mornings, and on that show, um, I, I do try to, to deal with issues that relate to men as they come up, but they, they may be issues that are, are for, for all people. In fact, this show this week we have a show coming up on, on, on kidney stones. We'll also talk about bladder issues for men uh, that, that can come up and how to deal with overactive bladder, how to, how to deal with nighttime urination, what to do about that. I mean, that is a major problem, yes. mm-hmm. uh, whether it be stress-related. I mean, people are getting up all times at night, and they think it's just their prostate, but it may not be. It may not be your bladder. It may not be your prostate, but it may be you know, sleep apnea, or maybe the diuretics that you're on that may need to be changed, or a whole host of other uh, conditions that can cause what we call nocturia, getting up at night, which can be real debilitating. I see so many patients and their spouses that are exhausted. I saw a guy yesterday and his wife, they look completely exhausted. He's, oh, he's getting up four or five times a night. I can't wow. sleep. He can't sleep. Mm. So uh, we, we deal with that on the radio show. I also have uh, guests from, uh, from NYU faculty talk about uh, bone health and brain health and what we can do to improve those areas as well as cardiac conditions, as I mentioned, with high cholesterol um, and arthritis. We, we have shows on arthritis there. So it's a gamut of, of men's health. And I think that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, listen, a lot of guys, you know, they listen to ESPN, they listen to the radio, they, they call in because they sometimes are fearful. There's still this fear of going to the physician, the sure. doctor, yeah. not only because of what they may feel during that examination, which is, which is painless these days, but what they might find. And uh, we need to educate men and educate their spouses and people that you need to not go to this head-in-the-sand approach and be aware. And then that will, 
believe it or not, that reduces so much anxiety once you learn about your numbers and how, you know, how you're doing. And, you know, I mentioned about, you know, knowing your numbers. One of the numbers that everyone needs to know about is their blood pressure. And uh-huh. we have shows that uh, we have a nephrologist that comes on and talks about how to manage blood pressure. I mean, this, I mean, blood pressure and high blood pressure, which is a real silent killer, can affect your heart, can affect your kidneys, can affect your brain, can affect your penis. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all about circulation and blood flow. So we deal with all of that on, on the shows, and uh, I think it's important, and I, I think it's very uh, educational for men and. Uh, I'm proud that I'm I'm continuing and, and feel satisfied in my life that I'm continuing to, to do that for men and, and their loved ones. Yeah, Absolutely. Last question, doctor. Just take a moment to speak to the caregivers, the loved ones who, of, of men who are going through these, these different treatments and the importance of their role. That's a great question, and uh, it comes up a lot. And I do see the anxiety, the fear. How can I be there for him? You know, he may have gone through surgery and he may is, you know, having some urinary issues or some sexual issues or the same thing with radiation. How do I, you know, how how can I be there uh, for him? And I think um, there are support groups out there for uh, spouses that are going through this. And um, I say one of the one of the key things is just to listen. You don't always have to give advice. You just have to listen and to be there and to be present and to um, let let him know that you, you love him and that you care for him. He's going to be okay, whatever it is. You're always there by his side. Uh, you're going to be there to take him for his appointments. Uh, you'll make sure that he takes his medication if he's on medication. Um, and that um, sometimes, you know, guys just need to, to vent and they just need to be heard. And uh, I, I think that's something that um, in this day and age when we're all on the cell phone and we're multitasking and we're, you know, we're working and we're self and we're texting and we're emailing and all this, it's about just being present sometimes. And it's about just being there for him and listening. And that is invaluable. Dr. Aaron Katz, Chairman of Urology at NYU Langone Hospital here in Long Island and Professor of Urology at NYU School of Medicine. Thanks for a couple of minutes this morning. And listen, uh, congratulations and thank you to you and your colleagues who are helping save men's lives through the advances that we're finding in prostate cancer because, you know, it's 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 saving lives. That's, that's the best way I can save it. And, and we thank you for, for all the work that you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much, Larry. And thank you for all of the, uh, to my colleagues uh, here at NYU in the Department of Urology and Radiation Oncology and Medical Oncology that, that help us every day with the patients. And I just want to thank you and and ESPN for allowing me to come on the show this morning and uh, to deliver these very important messages. Thank you so much. And, Doctor, we'll talk again soon because I want to keep hammering this home to my audience. Absolutely. Have a beautiful Sunday. You too. Thank you, Doctor. Bye now. That concludes this edition of New York Sports and Beyond. We thank you for listening. We'll join you this evening during the week on ESPN New York Tonight with my partner Gordon Damer and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my all-world producer, the legendary Ray Primetime Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues right here on 98.7 ESPN New York.